When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, it's Matthew Collar here. We're talking Vikings football five days a week on Purple Daily. Available on Apple, Spotify, and the Score North app or wherever you find your podcasts. And look, if you're tight on time right now and you can only listen to one segment from today's show, here it is. Alright, welcome into our number two of Purple Daily. Matthew Collar with you as always. If you missed any of the first hour with myself and Myron Metcalf, make sure you go to wherever you get your podcast. Type in Purple Daily and then every single day you can have football connected directly to your brain and it's the best so um i'm gonna be here for another half hour then i gotta run mackie and judd are going to take over after that they're gonna do some hot routes and then right into mackie and judd with rami from four to six as they do every day so i appreciate them doing that and uh i want to talk before we get to daniel popper of the athletic who covers the chargers just real quick about adam thielen coming back because now everything is lined up for Thielen to return. Adam Schefter has reported it locally. Chad Graff has reported it, too, that Thielen is in line to be back on the field for the Minnesota Vikings. And what I I can't help but think about is how Thielen being gone was just the right touch of adversity that this team needed to overcome and also set up a lot of different players to succeed. And when I looked at the numbers for Kirk Cousins throwing to everybody else that was not named Stephon Diggs after Adam Thielen went out from the first drive in Detroit until now when he returns, Kirk Cousins has a quarterback rating of 121 when throwing to everyone else except for Stephon Diggs. So Irv Smith, Delvin Cook, Alexander Madison, Kyle Rudolph. And where it's really key to me is the younger players who have been able to step up into these roles that now can be counted on if the Vikings have any more injuries on offense. Uh, Alexander Madison um, is is not in good shape right now because of an ankle injury, um, but he has shown that he can step in if you need him. Uh, We've also seen that B.C. Johnson can step in and make plays, and I saw Pro Football Focus tweet out that B.C. Johnson has the the, the lowest drop grade from PFF, that being a good thing, meaning he hasn't dropped any passes, basically. And discovering Kyle Rudolph again, but Irv Smith stepping into the role that we thought Irv Smith would be capable of, but weren't sure if he would really be able to do it. And Delvin Cook talked about this a little bit this week, about the young players growing during Thielen's absence. It's turned a lot. You're seeing guys grow up uh, fast. Trez and what year four, but I think Trez... You know, still got no ceiling to him. He's still growing. You know, he he's still following his role. Ola Beast, he grew up so fast. He's out there making plays. Like I said, Rudy just became a valuable option, which he's always been. We just give him the ball more. 
And you're just saying, God, step up. We're Adam down. But I'm hoping to have him back. <laughs> we want him back. And now the big question is for Kirk Cousins. How will you make sure that you get Thielen involved? And how will he make plays down the field and take some of the pressure off of Stephon Diggs to always be the guy that's going deep and making plays down the field, but also not going into the game feeling like you have to work the ball to Adam Thielen? And I know Kirk Cousins talked about this, and I'll play that for you in a second, but he's the type of quarterback that will always say, no, I'm going through my reads, I'm going through my progressions, I'm not going to try and force the ball to him, that's not what happens. But it's only natural, right? The guy's been gone for so long. He has been such a great player for this team, a pro bowler, that you would want to do that. Now, the question is, can the offense step up even more with Adam Thielen in there with that added extra weapon? And I do think it causes massive problems for the defense now that you have other players developed who you can trust to use and two guys who can go deep, two guys who can make plays. It's just how they decide to distribute the ball to Adam Thielen and to Stephon Diggs will be something that we're going to be watching closely. And here's Cousins talking about having his full complement of weapons. Well, I'm excited. Uh, the only thing you're worried about is, hey, we've, we've got a good rhythm going. You know, it, it does feel different to, to when you have him back. You know, it has a different dynamic. And so you you just, uh, you know, joke with him that, hey, don't rock the boat too much. You know, we've been doing pretty good. But uh, I would like to think that Adam Thielen is going to help our offense. And if nothing else, you know, the corners, the safeties, the linebackers, the defense, they have to honor the fact that he's on the field opposite Stefan Diggs. You have to, you know, cover and be aware of that many more people. Um, who have put good stuff on tape in the past. All right, now we welcome into the show. He covers the Los Angeles Chargers for The Athletic, Daniel Popper. What's going on, Daniel? Not too much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. I understand you're stuck in traffic as we speak. Uh, as as usual. That's LA for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to finding my way to the stadium. Uh, maybe I'll leave at 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, can we start there with just the situation with the Los Angeles Chargers and the stadium and the future stadium and, and the fact that a lot of people are expecting this place to be extremely purple on Sunday? Like, what What is the feeling of going and covering a game where it always feels like a road game even though you're covering the home team? It's certainly odd, and yeah, I would certainly expect the stadium to be packed with purple on Sunday. You know, when the Packers were in town, it was completely taken over by Packers fans. When the Steelers were in town, it was completely taken over by Steelers fans. Now, now the one thing to know, it's a soccer stadium. So it's the LA Galaxy Stadium. It's only 26,000 seats, so it's very small. Um, and so it's a really cool place to watch a football game because you're as close to the action as basically anywhere uh, in the NFL. Um, but basically what happened was that you have fewer seats, you know, simple supply and demand. The ownership had to raise the prices to make the same amount of money. Um, so they priced out a lot of the fans that would take the time to go to a game. Um, now, you know, opposing fans that are heading to the stadium, um, you know, they're not too worried about it. They're paying a lot of money for secondary tickets on the secondary market anyway. So it's not that much more expensive for them. Um, so what a lot of fans can do is, buy season tickets and then sell them to opposing fans and make a lot of profit. And that's what's happening right now. So I, I don't view it as as big of a problem with the fan base. It's just sort of simple economics that's going on. I, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens when they move into the new stadium next year in Englewood, SoFi Stadium. Reports have them struggling to sell season tickets, but I don't think you're going to have as big of an issue next year in the new stadium 
as you do right now. I think you'll have some more fans because they are selling tickets for very reasonable prices. You know, the, the upper bowl tickets, it's a hundred dollar PSL with, um, you know, only 50 to $60 per ticket. Um, so I think you'll have some more fans in there next year, but it's, it's bizarre. It's certainly bizarre. And, and, you know, the players won't say outright that, you know, it has a huge effect on them. It's sort of a, we, you know, us against them mentality and all we need is us type deal. But it does. It it has to impact them because you walk into your home stadium and you get booed from the get go. <laughs> yeah, that, that is weird. I I used to uh, live in Buffalo and cover the Bills, and they would play games in Toronto. Where and people would think like, oh, Toronto's right next to Buffalo, no big deal, right? Just like they think San Diego, it's right next to Los Angeles. Fans must drive up and and go to the games, but uh, not an easy drive, as you have already indicated by the traffic. And I I don't know. I I feel like Daniel it just wouldn't be a Chargers town and that it's going to take a while to kind of rebuild the fan base almost from scratch would that be accurate yeah you're spot on you're spot on and that's sort of what happened I haven't gotten to the bottom of it but it seems to me like the Spanos family sort of underestimated how much vitriol there would be um you know from the San Diego fans I would, I would, you know, I talk to a lot of fans. You know, I've gone around and canvassed the stadium, and, and there are fans that make the trip up from San Diego. Um, but my guess is about seventy-five percent of that fan base down there just wrote off the team completely. Yeah, yeah. Just because they were so hurt by it, um, and and they 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 stayed had so much pain by losing their team because of losing their team. It was sort of an institution in that city. I mean, they've been there for decades and decades and decades, and then all of a sudden they moved They moved to a different city. And it's not just that they moved to a different city. It's that they moved to Los Angeles. And there is a sort of big brother, little brother rivalry between L.A. and San Diego. And it was like it, it would almost have been better if they moved the team to a different city and not Los Angeles. But it's just so close, and it's still right there all the time, just a two-hour drive away. Um, and so you lost a lot of fans. Maybe they anticipated that fans would be driving up from San Diego, and that's how they would sort of bridge this gap until they could, you know, really establish a fan base in Los Angeles. But that's not really happening right now. And you know, Ingle is leaving a little bit further away than Carson, so I don't, I don't know if San Diego fans will ever be making the trip up here. There's your your few diehard fans that are never going to stop rooting for the team. They're they root for the players, and not for ownership, and that's sort of their explanation for why they continue to root. But they did. They lost a ton of fans, and I think that's a big factor in why this, this sort of the stadium situation is playing out as it is. Talking with Daniel Popper, he covers the Chargers for the Athletic, and you know, I, I, I guess I, I was in a market where they always talked about: Are they going to move this team eventually? Are they going to move the Buffalo Bills? Of course, here in Minnesota, they're locked down. You know, they got the huge stadium; everything's all good. So Minnesota fans can't really understand what it's like to see. Uh, you know, that conversation happening all the time. And then if you were Cleveland, you got uprooted and had kind of the soul ripped out of that city. Uh, you know, with, with San Diego, I, I felt for them. And I think that even if in, you're in Los Angeles and you're just a football fan, A, you probably like the Rams, the Raiders, or you just picked a random team to like. But B, there's got to be some sense of, man, you really uh, took the heart out of a city by pulling San Diego out of there after they had been there for a really long time. I mean, you were talking about San Diego and AFL championship games way back in the day. It's taken even a really long time for anyone outside of Los Angeles, like myself, to not say the San Diego Chargers every time we talk about them. Yeah, it still happens. I mean, we, we're in the press box and, and you know, PA announcers will say the San Diego Chargers. Referees will say the San Diego Chargers. <laughs> this was like for the longest time one of the one of the you know the seminal brands of the NFL. 
and uh, it no longer exists, and they're really struggling to find an identity. And that's really what it feels like to me is, like, the, the franchise doesn't really have an identity anymore. They want to be this L.A. team, but the problem is, you know, there was no football in Los Angeles for an entire generation. And so you had a whole bunch of people growing up who loved football but had no team in Los Angeles. Right. So like you said, they started rooting for the Raiders. They started rooting for the Packers. They started rooting for the Cowboys. And then all of a sudden, you're like, you bring two teams back in, and yeah, is it a big enough market to hypothetically, uh, you know, host two NFL teams? Yeah, it is, but when you've been out of the market for 25 years, you can't just come back in and expect, hey, we're back. Right. In the case of the Rams or in the Chargers case, like, hey, we're here. Everyone root for us. It's like, no, that's not how fanship works. Everyone knows that. The fans that grew up as Packers fans and grew up as Raiders fans aren't going to switch allegiances just and want their money. No. They they built that relationship with the Raiders and the Packers over the course of 20, 25 years, 30 years, however long, and they're not going to switch just because you're here. And, and I don't know if it was – an, an underestimation, or I don't know if they're looking ahead. And, you know, what, what people in the building will tell you is, you know, we knew this was going to take five, ten years, maybe longer to develop. But in my mind, I'm like, well, is that a sound business practice? And does that make sense? To me, it feels like part of it was just an underestimation on, on behalf of the Spanos family. Yeah, and I guess it wouldn't surprise me if uh, NFL people got a little too high on themselves and believed that uh, they could they could oh we're just the NFL you should just love us I mean because as you know as a reporter teams and the league always have that sort of um, disposition like oh whoa 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 we're we're kind of a big deal here so you're just gonna love us no matter what and uh, obviously not entirely the case there now uh, I I wonder Daniel um, I I want to just shift gears here to the team on the field. Because uh, it is a fascinating team to look through the schedule and, and see everything that has happened. And when I go to Pro Football Reference and look at the expected win-loss record versus the actual win-loss record, uh, there's a pretty big gap there. This should be like an eight-win team, right? I mean, how crazy has this season been for you with all the, the, the times where they've been so close to winning and then come up short? So the best way to, to put this in perspective is they have a plus 38-point differential. That is a better point differential than the ten and three Seahawks, the eight and, the eight and five Steelers, uh, the I think it's what the Texans eight and five. They're better than the Texans who have a winning record, um, and then they're one point behind the ten and three Green Bay Packers. Man. That's how that's that's how crazy this season has been. They've lost all eight of their games by one possession, and it's not just like you know oh like you know they pull in uh, you know within a within a touchdown late, which has happened in some games. But most of them have been just these soul-crushing losses. Like, two touch game-winning touchdowns called back in Nashville in the last 20 seconds of the game, and then Melvin Gordon fumbles at the goal line to fumble the game away. Or Phillip Rivers, while they're in field goal range in Detroit, down three points, throwing a, basically a, a Hail Mary in the end zone for some reason and throwing the interception. Or the loss in Denver a couple weeks ago where Casey Hayward gets called for a pass interference penalty that yes. might or might not have been pass interference. I saw that, that one. That wasn't. Yeah, running into the cornerback on purpose should not be pass interference on the cornerback. Okay, go, but go ahead. Continue. Yeah, but, but exactly. That's the thing. Is like there's there's like seven seconds left, and the only, the only play they're running is throw it up and try and draw pass interference, and somehow it works out, and then somehow Brandon McManus drills the field goal and they lose the game. I mean, it's been like that all season. And, you know, it's it's partly bad luck, and it's partly they've just been making 
really boneheaded mistakes at really awful times. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Philip Rivers has 15 interceptions on the season. And a, a number of those have come either late in games or inside the red zone. Um, and they lead the league in red zone turnovers with six. When you do that and you suffer the kind of injuries they suffered, you're going to not be able to pull out these close games. Um, so I think it's a little bit of bad luck and also a little bit of just making like bad mistakes at really, really, really big moments. So I, I wanted to ask you about Rivers because I was looking at his PFF grades by game and it's kind of hilarious. I mean, it's talk about a roller coaster. Last week against Jacksonville, one of the best quarterback performances this year, maybe. I mean, just uh, a brilliant game from him. He's had other games this year where he's graded extremely high. He's put up great numbers. And then there are other times where he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. Is that sort of your reality with Phillip Rivers now, is that you go into every game not really sure if if it's going to be Rivers putting up huge numbers or throwing three interceptions? Yeah. I mean, that's basically where it's at. Um, you know, Last week against Jacksonville was kind of a weird game, um, just because they that team was not ready to play. The Jaguars, I, I don't want to say they quit, because I don't think any team really quits. Like these guys are all playing for their next contract; they don't want to put that tape on there. But there is there is something to be said about a team that is ready to play and rallying together and still playing for their coach versus a team that isn't. And so, like Rivers played a really really good game, but he had a ton of wide open. It wasn't like he was fitting balls into tight windows. Like, it wasn't that kind of scenario. Like, guys were just running free because the Jags had no idea what they were doing. They were playing, like, third-string linebackers that were jumping at every play-action fake, and guys were running wide open past the linebackers. Um, I'll give him credit. It was a good game. But, you know, like, he's had other good games like against the Packers. I think the Packers was his best game of the season, just, like, as far as making very difficult throws and not turning the ball over and that sort of thing. But it's been up and down. And, and the lows here... Highs have been incredibly high, and the lows have been incredibly low. Yeah, um, you know that two-game stretch against the Raiders and the Chiefs, two huge divisional games where he threw seven interceptions. Um, and there's just been other games where, where the turnovers have just been absolutely crippling. Even in the in the loss to the Broncos, you know, I think he had, his pass rating came out to like 106 or something like that. So, you know, statistically, everyone's like, oh, he had a fine game, but the one pick he threw was inside his own 30-yard line and led directly to a touchdown. They lost that game by three points. Like when I look at a quarterback and how they played in the game, like, yeah, he might have had a good rating, and he might have put up decent numbers, but that interception, to me, you can't make that, you can't throw that interception, especially at 38 years old. And it's like he can't change how he plays. You know, like, he's always been a gunslinger. He always will be a gunslinger. And even at 38 years old, he's not going to change his mentality. The problem is he doesn't have the same arm strength. He doesn't have the same mobility. Not that he was ever a super mobile quarterback, but he doesn't have the same mobility. Um and so he's trying to make the same type of throws with the, with the diminished skill set. And the result is quite a few underthrown balls that have led to interceptions. I, I'm glad that you, that you talked about it that way because the journalist in me loves the idea of a washed up quarterback trying to find just enough to still win. Or, or I mean, even this down the stretch here is really interesting, probably from your perspective as a writer of this, this great, great quarterback for a long time, pro bowler, all, all the, you know, accolades and so forth who doesn't have it anymore but is trying to find it even when there's nothing else to play for. I, I got to feel like this these final three games are going to be really fascinating from your perspective. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see how he responds because you're talking about like an ultimate competitor. I'm sure everyone listening to this probably saw that uh, that clip circulating of yes. him like after he threw that screen pass to Austin Eckler and was like 
yelling in Yannick Ngakwe's ear, like, 90-yard touchdown. Yes, yes. Like, so he's he's a fierce competitor. And, and while he might stand on the podium and say that he doesn't hear all the detractors and hear all the, the criticism, people saying that he's washed up, all that kind of stuff, like, he hears it. Because after the game in Jacksonville, you know, he was walking through the locker room on his way to the press conference being like, oh, everyone that was in there for the losses better get in there now for this win. Like, who's <laughs> old now? Like, yelling. I was the only reporter in there. <laughs> so I don't know who who he was talking to because I, I never go to his press conferences after games because I'm always in the locker room collecting yeah. stuff from, from other players. But, like, he hears it, and he really wants to prove to everyone that he's not washed up. Now, is he capable of doing that? We'll see. I'm fa- I'm really fascinated to see how he plays this weekend against a really good Vikings defense and one that will scheme him up well with Mike Zimmer coaching. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, he's going to be back next year. The team wants him back next year. He's their quarterback. They really haven't changed their opinion on him this season. They, they view a lot of it as related to, you know, him not trusting the offensive line, which I can get. When he doesn't trust his offensive line, he starts feeling pressure, seeing ghosts, and and, and feeling pressure when it's not there, and, and throws off his back foot and makes worse decisions. And that's sort of how he's been his whole career. In their minds, if they, if they you know, can, can fortify that offensive line for next year, then they might get a different version of Rivers. I don't know if I believe that 100%. I see a quarterback that has some diminishing skills, like I was mentioning earlier. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's. I, I would expect him to go out and, and play decently well over these last two games just because, you know, he's, he's such a fierce competitor and it's something that's on his mind. Uh, we'll see if he's able to do that, but he certainly wants to and well, prove everyone wrong. Uh, Mike Zimmer said uh, the other day that Rivers will walk by you as a coach and say, like, what, you call that a blitz? Like, what, what, you, that was supposed to beat me or something like that? So uh, it's a, sort of a fun element of it that there aren't too many quarterbacks who talk as much trash as Phillip Rivers, and uh, and that's something kind of to look forward to. And maybe in a 26,000-seat stadium, we'll be able to hear it from the press box. Um, l- last thing for you, Daniel, I, I want to know about this defense with Derwin James versus when they did not have Derwin James because it's still a defense that has put up some really good numbers overall, um, but is got to be clearly stronger now with Derwin James than they were before, right? Yeah. So, so the key is that so they got Derwin James back, but they also got Adrian Phillips back in the exact same game. He missed, uh, you know, eight weeks with a broken arm, and he's like he's their backup strong safety, but also plays a lot in their dime packages. He's sort of like a like a linebacker safety combo. And if, if you're going to go with smaller personnel packages and they'll bring out their dime and play him in sort of a, that, that combo role, he's a big hitter. And also he's a extremely intelligent football player. So getting both those guys back has completely changed the defense. I was talking to a defensive player yesterday who was like, we're literally a different unit hmm. with those two guys. Like it's not even the same unit. It's completely different just because of the energy that those guys bring, the playmaking ability, um, you know, and Derwin's sort of been, you see flashes of it. He's been back for two games. You know, he, he came on a blitz and, defla- and batted a pass down last week. He had a tackle for a loss in his first game back. So you see sort of glimpses of it. But everyone, you know, media and even people in that building are waiting for that sort of, you know, vintage. I mean, it's not really vintage for a guy in the second, in his second year, but like that vintage Derwin James play where he completely changes the game with either an interception or a big time sack or something like that. I would expect that to come in this game just because he's finally getting his feet back underneath him. He's looking sharper, more explosive, trusting that foot a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a defensive player of the year candidate if he's on the field for 16 games. And so that's what they were missing this year. And, and they were able to, to cover the holes. I think a lot of the credit should go to Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator, for scheming scheming up great, you know, great defensive uh, performances against some really good quarterbacks. They played well against Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and a lot of that should fall on Bradley's shoulders for his uh, his schemes. But, um, 
yeah, I would expect a big performance from Vernon this weekend. I think he's he's get, he's approaching that level uh, in terms of how ready he looks and how explosive he looks. Yep. And if there's one thing that can throw off Kirk Cousins aside from pressure, it's when something doesn't look like what it is. If that makes sense, like when the Vikings played the Patriots last year, they stood up people at the line of scrimmage and had people walking around before the snap, and and Cousins got very confused because I think he makes his decisions about his reads before he takes the snap and uh, someone like Derwin James can have the same impact that Harrison Smith does here um, and, and very few guys can do that so last thing before I let you go Daniel this is uh, this has been great um, these are two cursed franchises right they miss field goals at the biggest times they have weird losses crazy things they don't have Super Bowls um, what's the what's the crazy outcome that happens here like I want you to come up with something that would be insane but also super typical of Vikings and Chargers okay I'm gonna go I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go pick six. Michael Badgley attempts a 55-yard field goal as time expires at the end of the first half, and the Vikings return it for a touchdown to take the lead, and they never relinquish it. <laughs> okay. All right. That, that's, that's perfect. Um, so would, would that be like the, what was it, Auburn, Alabama, where the, the kick comes short or something, and yes. a guy catches it and returns Yeah, okay. That, uh, that is, that is very the craziest crazy. thing I can think of on a football uh, yep, that's very creative. See, I was thinking like a very uh, like a short chip shot field goal to win, where we're all like, okay, well, who, either either team all set, they have it. Big win for the Chargers. Big win for oh no, a twenty eight yard field goal goes wide left or something, you know, something like <laughs> that's that. A good one too. Or, like or possibly that. there's got to be a safety involved in this game. There will be a safety. Uh, all right, uh, Daniel, great stuff. Follow him on Twitter Dan, at Daniel Popper. You can read his work at the Athletic. Um, always great stuff uh, and, and great to catch up with you. And I hope eventually you get to your destination that you get out of this traffic and you make it. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Okay, appreciate Daniel Popper coming on. And uh, that is it for me from Los Angeles until after the game. Make sure you go to the Purple Daily feed that uh, we will have an instant reaction for myself and Judd Zolgad. Basically, as soon as I get done in the locker room after the game, I'll be on the phone with Zolgad, and we will record a podcast from there. So it'll be podcast only, and then, of course, we'll be back on Monday with Sage Rosenfels to break it down. But if you need it hooked into your veins right after the game, we will have that for you on the Purple Daily feed. So uh, appreciate all of you listening to this California version of Purple Daily. Mackie and Judd are going to come on next, do a little hot routes, have a little fun there, and I will talk to you guys on Monday. Shopping for the holidays on Instacart and paying with Klarna means you can get gifts delivered in as fast as an hour and spread the payments over time, which could come in handy if you find out everyone's bringing gifts to a holiday party, even though the invitation said no gifts. I mean, why even bother to say no gifts if you don't mean it, Jennifer? Shop over 900 retailers on Instacart. Pay over time with Klarna. New Instacart customers get $25 off $100 or more when you pay with Klarna using code Klarna25. Download the Instacart app and start shopping. Terms apply. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.